Good evening, ladies. We're going to begin another series of the Women's Bible Study. This is our third season of messages for women's studies. So, Faye and I thank you for your prayers and support for us throughout these years. We begin our 2022-23 series with the title, The Power of Our Thoughts and How They Affect Our Lives, Attitudes, and Relationship with God. It's going to be a 10-lesson series, as you can see from the front of your handout. And this series is going to examine our inner life, the hidden side of our life. Now, I'm neither a licensed counselor or a certified therapist, but I have learned much about the inner life. I've learned it through life experiences, through research, and also studies in the Word of God. Now, the power of our thoughts has tremendous importance to us as a child of God because how often the words mind, thought, and heart appear in Scripture. They appear more than 1,000 times. Now, we all know that we have an inner life, don't we? (laughs) And that behind all of our external activities and external appearances, we ourselves live. And there is found our real life. There are defeats there, and there are victories there. There are passions, desires, heartaches, hopes, dreams, and fears that we cannot put into words. We can only go with them before God. Now, it's interesting with our inner life. There is a mixture of motivations, both genuinely spiritual and completely human. Our inner life is so deep, so truly inner, that no one knows it but God. In fact, Scripture says, God searches the heart. It is with this inner life, therefore, that God is most concerned. Why is your inner life important to God? Because it controls the rest of your life. What you think shapes how you live and how you feel. According to the Bible, we are responsible for the direction that our inner life takes us. In fact, the verse from Proverbs 23, 7 says, As he, or I'm putting this in our term now, for as she thinks in her heart, so is she. That is a very sobering verse, is it not? Our thoughts radically affect our life and relationships, almost everything. It impacts the quality of our life. It impacts our friendships. It impacts our marriages. It impacts our families. It impacts our jobs. It impacts our church. It impacts our ministries. And most importantly, it impacts our relationship with God. Now, most people go about their day mindless to how their thoughts are actually impacting them and unaware that Christ has given them the power to change harmful thoughts and habits. So that's the theme of this year's series, is into this inner life that faith in Christ brings the life of the risen Christ and the immense power of the Holy Spirit indwelling to help us with our thoughts. 
Now, even though I've known how important the thought life is to God, the more that I looked into this subject, the more my own understanding has grown. This is a vital subject, one that is near and dear to God's heart and near and dear to my heart as well. Because too often, my faulty way of thinking gets in the way of my living the abundant thought life in Christ that he has intended. So we're going to undertake this study together throughout the year. And I come to you with God's love and his compassion and the words of the Lord Jesus Christ who said, I have come to heal the brokenhearted and to set the captive free. This is not going to be a self-improvement course to overcome our shortcomings and failures in our own way and by our own resources. And the journey toward healthy and Christ-honoring thoughts do not happen overnight. So we take it a step at a time, a moment at a time, a day at a time in our walk of faith. But what is so wonderful is that the Lord Jesus Christ walks with us. It's not only his power that's available to us through the Holy Spirit, it's his presence with us as well. So Jesus Christ is with us and in us and in our situations to break harmful patterns of thought and actions. The first lesson of this series is titled, What We Think. That's tonight's lesson. And I've selected Philippians 4, verses 4 through 8 as our scripture reading because it's the Bible's greatest declaration about the power of our thoughts. So I'm going to ask you to turn to this portion of scripture that I will read, and I will be reading from the King James Version of the Bible. And I'm going to ask you to keep your Bibles open to this portion because I'm going to refer to it throughout the message. I'm starting now in Philippians 4, and I'm starting in verse 4, and I'm reading through verse 8. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, Whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and the opportunity we have as women tonight to open up your word and to see what you have to share with us regarding the power of our thoughts. Thank you, Father, that you've given us all the resources we need to live the Christian life. I'm so grateful, Father, that you are in us through the power of the Holy Spirit and you walk with us and that your presence is real to us. I pray, Father, for each woman here tonight or listening online, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, just picture this, ladies. Your eyes are fixed and glazed, and you're staring into space. And your mind has wandered from the conversations around you. And suddenly your serenity is broken and someone says, a penny for your thoughts. Well, 
What have you been thinking? <laughs> and are your thoughts even worth a penny? So you quench yourself and you quickly respond, Oh, I wasn't thinking about anything in particular. Mm, not so. Our minds are never idle. They're always thinking of something in particular. Now, many people believe that their thoughts cannot be controlled, that their mind goes wherever it wants to go. But the Word of God tells us differently. In the book of Matthew, chapter 23, verse 37, Jesus was asked to explain what the greatest commandment was out of all the commandments. And he replied, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The Lord Jesus makes it very clear that God desires a relationship with us. And as the Lord Jesus said, loving God is not just something we do in our hearts. It's something with our emotions and our thoughts and our body, with all that we are and all that we have. Because we have been given a mind to know God, a heart or emotions to love God, and a will or volition to obey God. So God has made us whole people. We are not simply intellect. And in the process of growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, mind and heart and will go together. So to love the Lord our God is not just to have good feelings about him, for a true divine agape love involves the will as well as the heart. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, the Apostle Paul wrote, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this verse makes it clear that we are composed of a body, a soul, and a spirit. And the Apostle Paul writes that it would be sanctified or set apart unto God, body, soul, and spirit, the whole package. This is the whole you. Now, the body you understand is your physical life. Uh, that's the part of you see in the morning when you get up out of bed and you think, ooh, I have to do something with that face and hair. It's also the part that you say to yourself, that should be exercise. <laughs> I need to lift some weights. So it's a physical part of you. The soul is your thought life, that part of you that involves your personality and your intellect, your emotions, your desires, your volition, your will. The part of you that makes decisions and how you respond and how you talk and how you think. And the spirit is also an invisible part of you. It's your spiritual life, how you relate to God and communicate with him. The Holy Spirit is a believer's helper to live the Christian life, beginning with what we think. So we are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Isn't that true? Which definitely includes our brain. The brain is the control center of the body. And what the brain does is to think. What we think, therefore, we become because our actions and reactions become patterns in our thinking. Pathways, if you will, in our mind. Ultimately, the way we live and the way we feel. So your emotions don't come out of nowhere. Your emotions are birthed by the way you think. So since we are talking about our thoughts this year, I thought it might be helpful to share with you some recent studies in how our brain and our thoughts work together. So I hope you don't mind just a brief anatomy lesson. <laughs> 
Did you know that you can change the shape and function of your brain? It's true. The brain is far more malleable than we thought. It's like a piece of dough shaped by our thoughts and by our experiences. And it's shaped anytime, anywhere, in anyone. Over the past 10 to 15 years, the word neuroplasticity describes how our brain is wired and how it works. And with new technology, it's been discovered that the brain is made up of neurons that connect with each other and they talk to each other. So the word neural pathways has become a descriptive term. So the brain is made up of pathways called neurons, and neurons are the messengers that send signals from one part of the body to another part of the body. For instance, it tells our eyes to blink, our lungs to breathe, and our heart to beat. And when you think, neurons talk to other neurons and make a path of your thinking pattern. Isn't that interesting? So the more you use that path, the more your thinking goes down that path. The Bible's true. What we think, we are. And they're formed by the strands of thought that tie our brain cells together like bailing wire. For example, the more you think in a given trial or situation throughout your life, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning me, the more your brain trains itself to naturally go down that path when the unexpected happens. Because that pathway has been developed already in your thinking. But if we consistently think, God is just cruel and mean to me when things don't go as I plan, he's unfair and unjust, then when things, bad things come to happen to us, then our mind is conditioned to go down that pathway. An example has been given of water poured onto sand. At first, there is no pathway for the water to travel. It just sits on top of the sand. But the more that you pour water, the more the water goes down that pathway, and the pathway gets a little deeper and stronger. So now when you pour more water, it goes in one direction than in many because it's the path of least resistance. (laughs) And that is the way our brains work as well. Just like pouring water onto sand, we develop pathways in our brain. The more we implement thinking patterns into our life, the more set in our ways, our thinking ways, we become. So then in turn, our thoughts become actions, and our actions become habit, and our habit becomes our lifestyle. What we think actually triggers what we feel, which then impacts how we behave. Typically, our lives like the path of least resistance. Uh, What I've done most often is the easiest thing to do, so I'm just going to keep on doing it. But that's thoughts included. Too often, our default pattern of thinking, like fear or anger or self-pity or regret, can be used by our brain to trick us into seeing life in a way that is not accurate, not healthy, not biblical. And then those unhealthy thought patterns go like a repeat in our brain, like a song that gets stuck in your head. So we have this warning from Scripture, from Proverbs 4.23, 
Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. So in order for us to take responsibility for our thoughts, we first must recognize what we're dealing with. Now, prior to our salvation in Christ, we could only program the brain to think selfishly, all about me, (laughs) and sinfully. We had no power within us to change our thinking. But since as believers in Jesus Christ, and Christ is our Savior, he's freed us from the power of sin. Christ not only died for sin, bearing its penalty, but he died unto sin, breaking its power. That means we can have victory over harmful thought patterns and habits, over that old sin nature that wants to control our thoughts. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Romans 6, 2. What a great question. What a great question. We are now capable through the power of the Holy Spirit to think those very thoughts I just read from Philippians 4. Things that are true and things that are right and things that are just and things that are noble and things that are of a good report and things that are lovely. But in this endeavor, a battle ensues. (laughs) Just read Romans chapters 6 through 8 to see that battle. Our flesh wants to control our habits or patterns of thinking contrary to God. When we look at our life horizontally and not vertically, before we were saved, that's the only viewpoint we had. We could only see things horizontally, which means our circumstances and what is around us, rather than we did not have the capacity to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. But through the power of the Holy Spirit within us, we can. And that's what this is all about, to direct our thoughts heavenly, to direct our thoughts toward the word of God and not horizontally. But do not despair because God gives us tremendous help and hope in this battle for our thoughts. So here is a very interesting verse, one that um, I've read for many years, and I spent some time doing a deep dive in it for this particular lesson. And in Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, it reads like this. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to to punish in all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. That is such an interesting verse. The word strongholds in that verse means mental fortress. So a stronghold is something that is stuck in your head. It can be a fixation. It can be a phobia. It can be a compulsion. It can be bitterness or or pride or lust or a lofty opinion of yourself. Thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Maybe it's anxiety. Or maybe it's obsessions is the stronghold. Maybe it's trying to always want to control situations or control people. That could be a stronghold. Or maybe it's a fear of the future. Or maybe it's fear of failure. And we might find ourselves asking ourselves, why does my mind always take me there? 
Mental habits can be a default or a stronghold in our minds. John Dryden says we first make our habits, then our habits make us. And we can get stuck in a rut. Have you ever experienced getting stuck in a rut of mud when you're driving a car or truck on a very rainy day down a dirt road? How do you try to get out of that rut? You drive the car forward, you put in a reverse. Forward, reverse, forward, reverse, forward, reverse. And then what happens? All of a sudden, you're deeper and deeper and deeper in the rut. And you cannot get yourself out. So what do you do? You call for help. You call for some power bigger than yourself to pull you out of that rut. So typically, you might call a tow truck or someone else to help pull you out of that rut because you simply do not have the strength with your vehicle to do it. But the same is true with ruts in our mind. Try as we might, by our own power or strength or carnal weapons, like that verse said, we simply cannot get ourselves out of harmful ruts of thought. The strongholds have a strong hold on us. And that's why we must phone a friend. That's why we phone our friend, the Lord Jesus Christ, to help us get out of the rut. And he can and he will, as we have faith in him, to do the work for us. Because he has the strength to pull us out of that rut. But we simply must rest in his ability to do it. Just as when I get myself stuck in a rut of mud and I need to have that tow truck pull me out, I need to rest in the ability of that tow truck driver to pull me out because there's nothing I can do. Same, though, is true when we get stuck in a rut in our mental habits and and pathways. The Lord Jesus can pull us out as we rest in him to do it for us. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know, it says in Jeremiah 33.3. So you can place that call many times a day if needed. So Jesus Christ himself is the answer to my hang-ups. And we all have them, don't we? (laughs) And he is the one who can meet my deepest needs because the one who loves me the most knows me the best. Corey Ten Boom said it so well. She said, Jesus Christ is able to untangle all my complexes and to transform even my fixed habit patterns, no matter how deeply they are etched into my subconscious. Isn't that something? Corey Ten Boom was in a concentration camp in World War II in Hitler's Nazi Germany. And she saw atrocities that we can't even imagine. She was in there with her dear sister, Betsy. And horrible things were done to her and other women in that concentration camp. She saw things that were etched there. But she knew that Jesus Christ could help her with those harmful thought patterns and pull her out. Now, I have a question for us. Did God save us for victory or defeat in the Christian life? Which do you think it is? What did he save us for? Victory, didn't he? There's victory in Jesus. And if he saved us to be victorious, do you think he can equip us for that victory? Of course he can. And he does. Because over and over in Scripture, God is described as all-powerful, a mighty warrior with mighty weapons. 
Do you remember what the verse said in 2 Corinthians 10.4? What kind of uh, weapons are available? God is mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnival. What kind of weapons are they? They're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. We have a mighty God with mighty power, always available any time of the day to help us. He wants to help us. He's the all-powerful God. And he will pull down the strongholds through his power. But here's a caveat. If we choose to let him, we must cooperate with the Holy Spirit to help us. So how does God pull down your strongholds? Strongholds are pulled down or broken down when you first identify the strongholds in your life. So allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to show you. And then bring those strongholds to the Lord. Name them. Father, this is what I'm dealing with in my life. You know this. You know my heart. And Father, I want to be conscious of it, and I need your help. I need your help through the power of the Holy Spirit. So ask yourself, what am I thinking about on a regular basis? What are my negative thoughts? What does the Word of God say about that? Do I, as your speaker, have strongholds in my life? Absolutely, I do. I've had disappointments, discouragements, fear, regret, and other strongholds. I've had my ups and downs. Life has been harder and heavier than I had expected. But the word of God and the presence of Jesus Christ in my life has anchored my soul and pulled down its strongholds so that I don't stay there. His power keeps me from falling apart. And it's God's power that will keep you from falling apart. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And when we do fall apart, (laughs) because sometimes we do, this is the beauty of the Christian life. God in his love and his grace and his forgiveness, when we have confessed our sins, pulls us back up and on we go. And he restores us. For the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Did you notice in that verse? What will that peace do? It will guard your hearts and minds. Where? Through Christ Jesus. So when faced with fear and anxiety, I have an anchor that keeps the soul. Steadfast and sure as a billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. So you deconstruct those strongholds by renewing your mind with the word of God. Let that word just wash right over you and cleanse you. And God then begins to develop new patterns of thought, new neural pathways, if you will, new thinking habits. But I said at the beginning, and I'm going to say it again, this takes time. It's a process over day, week, months, years. So take it a day at a time. Ladies, do not worry about tomorrow. The Lord Jesus Christ already said that. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has its own problems. You just worry about today. Not worry about today, but you think about today. And you think about me in today. Train your mind to think biblically, just like you train your body to be healthy and holy. So, my dear sisters in Christ, do not lose heart. This is exciting. This is wonderful that the Lord Jesus Christ works with us. There's a second part of this verse that has always caught my attention. 
And it's this part in the Second Corinthians 10. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And I'll look at that verse and I'll say, Father, every thought bringing it into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Would you please help me with that, Father? Would you please show me what that means? That's, that's deep. And I, I need your help, Father, in understanding this. Well, here's the good news. Christ didn't come to make minor changes in what we believe. He came to turn our view of reality upside down and inside out. Christ let us know we have it all wrong when it comes to the way we see things and we see our life. That was part of the imaginations that we saw in that verse in 2 Corinthians 10. Because our mind can imagine all sorts of things, of how life should be for us. If only I hadn't done this, if only I hadn't made this decision, if only I hadn't moved there, if only I hadn't married this person, if only, if only, if only, if only. And that's where we can land in our part of our imaginations. The Lord doesn't want us to go there. He doesn't want us to live with regret. He has given us a new life in Christ. The vast majority of us go through life unaware that the way we view things are significantly at odds with how God views reality. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ was the only person to walk the face of the earth to view reality in a completely accurate manner. He was the only person in history who was 100% psychologically imbalanced. So I need the mind of Christ. <laughs> if we want to experience that abundant life in Christ, we need to view reality from his viewpoint and not ours. And that's what Philippians 4 is all about. That's that portion I just read to you from verses 4 through 8. Because from our viewpoint, the world doesn't make sense. So don't try to make sense out of that world. That's why we need spiritual eyes Father, help me to see things from your viewpoint. That's why I need the mind of Christ. And when I talk about the mind of Christ, ladies, this is the mind of Christ, which is the word of God. And the more time I spend with the word of God, the more the Holy Spirit takes that word and renews and refreshes my mind. I love that thought. So how do I bring, though, every thought into, into captivity to the obedience of Christ? Well, here is something wonderful. God made you where you cannot think two things at one time. I'm going to try it out with you. If I said to you, there's a pink elephant in the room, what would you be thinking? You'd be thinking about the pink elephant in the room. And since we can only focus on one thought at a time, when you're thinking what's biblical or you're thinking what's right, you cannot be thinking what's wrong. And I'm not talking about positive thinking here. I'm talking about Christ-like thinking. I heard it said by a Bible teacher that when a defeating thought enters your mind, you've got about five seconds to take that thought captive and not go down that pathway. Because if you don't, that thought is going to take you captive. So in essence, what it is is, oh, I caught a thought and bring it back to obedience to Christ. So let me give you some examples. For example, if you had a, co- have a, had a co-worker who just riles you up, <laughs> and you say, oh, and then you, oh, 
you catch that thought, and you draw upon a fact from God's word, and you trust it, and you remember, okay, Father, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. My feelings about that coworker changes as I place my faith in the word of God. So it's a fact with the faith, and then my feelings follow. Here's another example. Let's say someone posts a picture on Facebook of their beautiful vacation at a beautiful resort at St. Lucia. While you are living paycheck to paycheck and envy starts to creep in, and you find yourself thinking, why is God blessing someone he shouldn't be blessing? She doesn't deserve it. Oh, we sometimes cannot bear to see someone else happy, can we? Yet we can catch that thought and bring it back to the obedience of Christ, bring it back to the fact and place our faith in it. And we can think of that verse, be content with such things as you have, for I have said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Oh, Father, that's right. Thank you. I have it all. I have it all in Christ. I have spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ right now. Yes, Father, thank you for helping me refocus my thinking onto you and not onto the horizontal all around me. Okay, here's another example. I have many. (laughs) You lose your cool with your husband when he forgets to buy the one thing you needed for tonight's supper on his way home. And then you'll just let him know you're not at all happy with that. And then you stop and you remember, be kind to one another. That includes our husbands, by the way. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, in Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And then you're reminded, that's right, Father, of the forgiveness it has and how many times a day God forgives you. And you say, I was wrong, Barry, to get angry at you. Would you forgive me? So God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I love this verse. This has been a wonderful verse for me throughout my Christian life. Because when I read this verse, I see my position in Christ. And I see that God loves me with an everlasting love, just as he loves his own dear son. And look what he's given me, I say to myself when I read that verse. He has not given you, Carol, a spirit of fear. And fear there means timidity. God gives us courage. He puts courage in our hearts as we trust him. Even when things are very scary around us, he puts courage in our hearts. In fact, Isaiah 41, 3 says, For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying unto you, Fear not, I will help you. Excuse me, that was forty-one thirteen of Isaiah. And I say this verse to myself, What time I am afraid, Father, I will trust in you. Because there are many things that are scary. There are many things for us of which to be afraid. And that's why, Father, our Heavenly Father says, I will take care of you and I will hold you by the right hand. Now notice what he doesn't give us a spirit for, but look what he does give us. He gives us his power, his love, and his sound mind. Oh, Father, this is so much. This is so wonderful. Thank you so much. What is his power? His power is to overcome our fear. And I want you to notice how often in Scripture the word power is mentioned in relationship to our walk in this world, in the walk in our Christian life. 
And that's why the Apostle Paul could say later in Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's in 4.13. Because he knew God had given him his power. And if that were not enough, ladies, he's given us his love. God is love. And he that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. As such, I can love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. We love him, ladies, because he first loved us. Because God loved us by sending his son to die for my sins on Calvary. What greater love is there than that? And he's given us his love. And it is his love that motivates me to love him. And if that were not enough, (laughs) he says, I've also given you a sound mind. A sound mind there means a controlled mind. We are going through troubled times right now. And many times we are troubled. And in my experience over the past year, and you've heard me mention this in last year's study, life hasn't been easy. Uh, We all have troubles in life, but the Holy Spirit gives us power to overcome the fear of them and to remind us of his love for us and to give us a sound mind, which I said means self-control, which is one of the fruit of the Spirit. And for all this and more, I can say, as Apostle Paul did, Yes, I will rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'm going to say it, rejoice. Now, I want you to notice that prepositional phrase in that verse, in the Lord. Without it, that verse would make no sense at all. Because we cannot always rejoice in our circumstances. We certainly can't delight in the people or trials that are plaguing us. We can't rejoice in the state of the nation or the state of the world or our health or our financial situation. But one place we can rejoice, and we can rejoice in the Lord. That means we can rejoice in his promises. We can rejoice in his word. For there is a God-given promise to counteract every anxious thought or stressful spot you might be in right now in life. Rejoicing in the Lord, ladies, is a choice we make each day. Starting the day, I will rejoice in the Lord. That can be our attitude as we get out of bed in the morning. For this is the day, Father, that you've made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I do not know what this day holds for me, Father. But whatever it is, it's in your hands, it's in your care. Everything comes through your hands because of your love for me. So I'm going to trust you in this, and I will rejoice in you. Frankly, It's hard to do, I know that, and I could not do it without the truth of the scripture, my faith in the word, and my resting in the promises of God. That, ladies, is a faith rest life. So, joy comes from knowledge, from the word of God, and we say, okay, Father, I can rejoice in you. We know Romans 8, 28, right, ladies? Don't we know that? Can't we quote that verse? All things work together together. For good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So we can quote that verse. And when we know scripture, it's a knowledge of scripture that produces joy in us. It's an attitude based upon our faith 
in the word of God so we can make up our mind to rejoice based on what we know about God and how much God loves us. Now, there's another verse that Paul writes, and it's another imperative, just like rejoice in the Lord was, and always causes me pause (laughs) when I read it. Be anxious for nothing. Wow, Paul, (laughs) that's quite a statement. Rejoice in the Lord always, and then be anxious for nothing. Anxiety is that emotion or stress or nervousness of those things we cannot control. And we like to be in control. So anxiety is triggered by the thought that something bad is going to come our way, something we can't control. And we've all heard that we shouldn't be anxious or worried. But here's the scoop. We have a God who is in control. He's in control of every detail, situation, circumstance you find yourself in today. We have a Heavenly Father who loves us. He has a predetermined plan and purpose for your life, ladies. And he's assumed responsibility for your care. So, in turn, I can be anxious for nothing. The Lord showed this to me recently. Um, As Faye and I planned this year's women's Bible study, we met in June. And we looked at... Uh, what we talked about what we were going to mention regarding lesson titles and such and what the schedule was. And uh, Faye was, um, decided that she would give the first lesson, the one I'm giving tonight, by the way. This is what she was going to teach. And uh, so she came to my house uh, several weeks ago, and she had something to tell me. I think you can probably guess what she had to tell me. She simply did not have time to prepare the first lesson. Here's the reason. Three of her children plan to marry within five weeks of each other. That's right. Yes, you heard me correctly there, ladies. Three weddings, beginning in October and ending in early November, and a double bridal shower the first weekend in October. This could only happen to Faye, by the way. I want you to know that. (laughs) Remember, she had three of her other children's weddings within six months of each other in the year 2019. Well, as Faye was, you know, telling her dilemma, sharing that, of course I understood. Yes, Faye, absolutely. You can imagine what I was thinking. The anxiety starts rushing over me. Ah, a couple weeks, ah. Okay, how could I possibly get a message together in a couple weeks? So after she left, um, and after we had our tea and crumpets, (laughs) I had to preach to myself. I said, Carol... You know those verses we're going to be talking about over this year, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, and that's the second part of the verse we have to look at, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. The word supplication there means intense prayer. It means carpet time. It's the prayers when you're on your knees. So there is carpet time there, but there's many times when we can't get on our knees. Maybe you have hip problems. Maybe you have knee problems. You can't get on your knees before the Lord and have that supplication. You can be on your knees right here in your thinking. Saying, Father, this is way beyond me. I do not see how you're going to work this out, but I'm going to trust you. And you've told me to be anxious for nothing because you have already have it all figured out. You know how this is all going to work out for me. You know the end. 
So God reminded me in that prayer and supplication that he is the almighty God who is always present, knows everything even before it happens. He knew about phase three weddings. He knew about the fact that I would be stepping in before it came. So that took down the anxiety. I hope it took down yours too, Faye. When our minds are overtaken with worry, there's only one thing we can do, ladies. We have to remember We have to call to mind the truth from the word of God we need. We have to remember God's promise. is a really big one. Casting all your care upon him. What's the second part of that verse? For he what? Cares for you. And the word care there means anxiety, by the way. So it was as if God were telling me, if you turn that problem over to me, Carol, and not worry about it, I will take care of it. So now we're back to Philippians Uh, 4, verse 8. And the verse begins this way. It says, finally. Not as in finally we're almost done with the book and with the chapter. This finally means we're at the most important point. I have talked to you about rejoicing in the Lord. I've talked to you about not being anxious. I've talked to you about having prayer and supplication with Thanksgiving. I've talked to you all about these things. But this is the most important thing. And what is that? Finally, think. Out of the 32 words in that verse, of verse 8, only one is an action verb, and it's the key word of the verse. And it's an imperative. Think. Paul lists eight words now that describe what we are to think upon. So truly, if you want to know the mind of Christ, here are the eight areas right here. And he says, this is the mind of Christ. I beseech you, therefore, excuse me, this is the mind of Christ. Think upon things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. And look at number one. Think on things that are true. Truth matters. That's why it's listed first. When we tell ourselves the truth of the word of God and allow God to help us internalize it, We nourish our souls and enjoy the abundant life that God has for us. But when we tell ourselves a lie, we poison our souls. Lies like this. God doesn't care about me. God doesn't love me. He loves other people. He doesn't love me. I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what... Her life seems a whole lot better than my life. I don't know. I think he likes her better than he likes me. That's what I think. Those are lies. Satan's lies. Lies like this one, too. Oh, I don't feel like I belong to this church because everyone else seems happier than I am here. I don't know what's going on. The amazing thing, though, is that we have a choice in this matter. Each day we decide whether to believe a lie or lies or God's truth. And the lies we tell ourselves cost us dearly. They cost us relationships. They cost us a sense of meaning and purpose in life. They cost us emotional health and well-being. And they cost us an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why truth, think of things that are true, is number one. Think upon things that are true. Think upon things that are noble, worthy of honor and dignity. Things that are right, morally pure. A reference to purity there in the word pure. Um, Think of things that are lovely. When I think of things that are lovely, this is what I think about. I think about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is altogether lovely. So I just love to think about him. Think about things that are of a good report and think about things that are praiseworthy. What can you praise God for today? 
Think back on your day now. How can you end your day praising God? That's a great way to end a day. Think, okay, Father, a lot of things happened that I didn't expect. And, and, and yet you knew them, Father. And I thank you. I thank you for you. Philippians 4, 8 is a verse you can never wear out. I love that verse. And you, whatever is true, think on these things. Philippians 4, 8, these are heavenly words, ladies, just for you. And how do we think upon such things? Our minds need to be renewed. We like to be renewed. We like spa treatments to renew our body. We like facials to renew our mind. Excuse me, renew our face. But we also need a mind renewal. Romans 12, 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Renewing is such a good word in that verse. It stresses the willing response on our part, thinking the mind of God, which is designed to have transforming effect on us. So as we take in the word of God, and we have faith in it, and we trust it, our minds are being renewed. That's the mind of Christ. And it's washing away, if you will, our anxieties and our fears and our guilt and our regrets. And it replaces them with his truth. And then we are being metamorphosized, if you will, transformed as we meditate on the word of God. You know, there's so many things that I do not understand how God co-labors with me to renew my mind. But I do know what's helped me in my renewal process. And that's a daily time of Bible study and prayer. I, it's my favorite time of the day, actually. Spending time in the Word of God and praying to my Heavenly Father. It also helps me to listen to uplifting messages because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It also helps me to meditate on Bible verses. It helps me to visit my dear friends and my dear sisters in Christ and pray with them. That helps me so much. It renews my mind. And also keeping my mind actively engaged, not allowing it to drift or wander. You know what I'm talking about, don't you, ladies? Because when our mind wanders, ooh-wee, we can imagine all sorts of things. Because we think of that perfect place with the perfect people, with the perfect circumstances, with a perfect ending. You know that commercial from the 1970s and the 1980s? Calgon, take me away. Well, I tried Calgon. And it never took me away anywhere. <laughs> it was all a mirage. You know, Adam and Eve got in trouble in the most perfect environment on earth, the Garden of Eden. They were deceived when Satan raised questions about God. Has God said he placed doubt in their minds about the goodness of God? Satan messed with their minds. So when your mind wanders, lady, it's time to put on your spiritual armor. That's what the Apostle Paul said. In Ephesians six seventeen, he says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Ephesians six seventeen. All of us fight battles. The battle of the bulge. The battle with finances. The battles at work. Battles with money. Battles at home. Battles seem to be with us always. But there's a battle that's even more deadly. It's the battle for your mind. For we do not battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. So if we are in a spiritual battle for our mind, what weapons do we need? Spiritual weapons. 
God wants to protect our minds with a helmet of salvation. So I often would hear this verse, helmet of salvation. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean to, to take the helmet of salvation? Salvation refers to deliverance. In our salvation, we were delivered from the power of sin and Satan. When Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for the sins of the world, he dropped a nuclear bomb onto Satan's plans. And that's why we can say, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Praise the Lord. That's 1 John 4, 4. So the battle has already been won. And when we take the helmet of salvation, it reminds us of that. It reminds us of our salvation in Jesus Christ. It reminds us that we live in his resurrection power, the same power that raised him from the dead. If not taking that helmet of salvation and remembering our position in Christ, we are susceptible to Satan's lies. So take that defensive weapon, the helmet of salvation, and protect your mind from Satan's attacks and lies. We are in football season right now. And a player would not think of going onto the field without wearing a helmet. In fact, a coach would not allow it. You'd get penalized if you did that. Now, my husband, Barry, uh, said that football helmets are now much more sophisticated than they were when he played football 50-some years ago. <laughs> in fact, he actually admitted this to me. He said his first helmet when he was in junior high was a leather helmet. And then he jokes that this explains how he is after he's been hit in the head multiple times. But we are to have a spiritual helmet, if you will, to put on daily to protect our minds. But on the way, don't forget to grab that sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which is our offensive weapon. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. For the better you know the word of God, the easier it will be to defeat Satan's lies with God's truth. However, ladies, we don't study the Bible just to know the Bible. We study the Bible to get to know Jesus Christ. The apostle Peter made an interesting statement in 1 Peter 1.13. He says, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, if you have any study on Peter, you can see probably why he said that. He probably reminded himself of that. What he's saying there is pull your thoughts together. Prepare your mind for action. And Peter used the image from his day of a robed man tugging his tunic underneath his belt so that he could be free to run. So he could be free to run, he said, and to look for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we could run the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's why he says, gird up the loins of your mind. Make up your mind to take sides against yourself and to take sides with God. Ladies, your mind matters to God. From your thought life and through your thought life, God wants to minister to you. He loves you. He desires a relationship with you. All he asks of us is that we would rest in him as we trust him and walk by faith day by day because he wants to guard your steps and guard your mind. And what's so wonderful is in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him 
who loved us. What are all these things in your life? You know, fill in the blank there. I know what I would put in my blank there. In what things? Okay, this is it. Carol, in all those things you've just given to me, you are already more than a conqueror. Just remember this, Carol. I love you. Oh, it would have been wonderful if God had said we are just conquerors. But he declares that we are, what kind of conquerors, ladies? More than conquerors. That's victory with a plus sign, in my opinion. This means enough and more to spare. The victory over harmful thoughts and habits is a gift through Jesus Christ, which is ours to claim daily. Jesus Christ has won the battle of the mind. And the Lord Jesus is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above what we could ask or, what's the last word there in that verse? Think. You cannot lose. With Jesus Christ, you cannot, we cannot lose. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Yes, of course he will. Perhaps there is someone here today or listening online who wants the Lord Jesus Christ help with her thoughts. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior and you don't know if you're going to heaven when you die, that's the starting place. What you think about Jesus Christ is the most important thought. It's a matter of eternal life or eternal death. He who has the Son of God has life, and he who has not the Son of God has not life. Do you know that Jesus Christ went to the cross and bore your sins in his own body and died for you and arose from the grave? He loves you. He's a living Savior. He's now at the right hand of the Father. And Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he arose again the third day according to the scriptures. Do you believe this? That's where faith begins. This is the beginning of everything for a child of God. Let no one think, ever think of beginning with God anywhere but Christ crucified. The blood of Jesus Christ is a price for our redemption. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. It's by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest you should boast. It's a gift. Will you take the gift of salvation? Perhaps the Lord is speaking to you right now to accept his finished work on the cross for you. Today can be your day of salvation. And when we have faith in Christ, bearing our sins in his own body and receiving him by faith as our Savior, we have eternal life. And then the Holy Spirit indwells us and gives us the power to live the Christian life, that abundant life in Christ that the Lord Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He loves you. God loves you. He proved his love for you at Calvary. So salvation is not a cold, calculating experience. It's motivated by love, the love of God for you. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son, that if you would believe in him, you're not going to perish. You're going to have everlasting life. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them, who believe on his name. And my dear sisters in Christ, remember Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, 
but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And can we say this line together, ladies? Say it out loud with me, please. Who loved me and gave himself for me. That is the personal part of our salvation in Christ. Just think of it, ladies. Christ is our life. And our life, our inner life, is hidden with Christ in God. What security and satisfaction. So we can say the lines to this hymn. May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day. By his love and power controlling all I do and say. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your great love for us. Your great love for us, Father, in sending the Lord Jesus Christ to die in our place on the cross and bear our sins in his own body upon the tree. Thank you, Father, that salvation is a gift. But another gift from you, Father, is the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, that you help us in our Christian life, help us even with our thoughts. I pray, Father, that we would keep our minds stayed on you because we trust in you. Thank you for your word, Father, the beauty of it. May we just hide it in our hearts. So I pray, Father, for each woman here tonight and those listening online, that we would rejoice always. And again, I say, rejoice in the Lord. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.